Oh, God, you are faithful. Amen. He's faithful. Jesus, thank you. Come on, let's just, just, let's just give him a little thanks this morning. Father, thank you. God, you are so good. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that you've never failed us. Lord, that you are with us, you are for us. Holy Spirit, you are in us. Come on, Holy Spirit, you are dwelling in this place. You are the welcome guest this morning. And Holy Spirit, we're saying, have your way in this place. Have your way in us, God, your people. Lord, we say this morning, we are hungry and we are thirsty for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, God, we thirst for you. We thirst for you. Lord, you alone satisfy. You are the fountain of living waters. And Lord, we look to you this morning. Thank you for filling us afresh, Holy Spirit. Just come on, lift your hands for just a moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are filling us even right now, God. Thank you that you give us the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Hallelujah. You give us beauty for our ashes, oh God. Lord, you're so good. You never fail us. Whoo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We honor you. We praise you. We give you the glory in this place. Everybody said, amen. Amen. God is good. Well, if you got your Bibles this morning, how many got your Bibles? Come on. You can hold up your phones too. That works too. All right. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter four. We're just continuing our study in the book of Nehemiah. How many know it's some rich stuff? How many were here last week? Pastor Carolyn. It was good. It's good stuff. I don't know if I can follow that up, but I'll try. Um, and, uh, Minister Jose has this saying in youth, which I think is really good. I, I firmly believe in it, that note takers are world changers. Note takers are world changers. And so I encourage you to take notes. Do you have the, did you bring it with you? Oh, she's got it here. Okay. She, come up here for just a moment. Let, let me just tell you why it's important to take, take notes. Because the Holy Spirit will speak to you even things that maybe I'm not even saying. Come on. I have these moments where the whole, people will come up to me afterwards and they're oh, pastor, when you said this, that really ministered to me. And I said, I never said that. I didn't say that. I'm pretty sure. I can show you my notes. I'm pretty, I follow my notes pretty, pretty closely, but, uh, except when the Holy Spirit detours. But I don't remember saying that. So the Holy Spirit will speak things to you. Amen. When the presence, uh, when he's in here and his presence is here and his word is being spoken. So Carolyn was just going through notes from 11 years ago and read what read what she found this is from february 8th 2009 it said this is a word that the lord spoke to me and said it's time for battle don't wait for the enemy to attack you the place you've stood you will stand no more for behold all things have passed away and all things have become new Get off the defense and reaction, for the battle is mine, and the timing is mine. And it's time to stay sharp and keep your eyes open, and I'll show you where the enemy lies in wait. Build your walls 
and make your door secure. Strengthen the people, teach them to be skillful in warfare, for there is a battle in the heavenlies, a war that rages. Many times I deliver you out of their hand, but I will sorry, deliver them into your hand. Come on, how many received that this morning? That seemed timely. I just feel like that's a timely word for us. And uh, as we're going into Nehemiah 4, we talk more about battling. But just to some of you maybe have not been here, we've been on a series of battling, building and battling. Battling and building. I think it's one of them. Yeah, battle, building and battling, whatever it is. But both. We're doing both. And how many know that describes the Christian life that we are building? God has come. To buy, there's a song we used to sing, the Lord is building Jerusalem. The Lord is building Jerusalem. He's building his work in us. He's building uh, his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You are a living stone. You are part of what God's building and his plan for his church. And you have a place, and you have a place that where you belong. And we need you, come on, to be complete and for this wall to be built up. And so God's doing a work of building and repairing and restoring in our lives, but he's also doing it in the church. And so we've been in the study, and there's so many things that God's been showing us through this. And I want to start um, in, in Nehemiah 4, but the chapter before, there's a few things that Pastor Carolyn touched on last week. She said there, were, there was a clear working together in unity that we saw. And throughout the chapter 3, it said this. It said, next to him, or next to was this person. Next to them was this person. They were repairing this part, and they were repairing that part. And so they were working together to, for a common goal, a common purpose, God's kingdom, the restoration of the city, the walls around the city of Jerusalem, and the gates were being repaired. And we went through, all those gates have different meanings and different applications in our life. So that's where we left off. And we go into Nehemiah chapter 4, and it says this. The, the Word of God says, Now it came about when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. How many know the enemy's fine as long as your life is still lying in ruins and you're not a threat? But when he sees those walls, those walls speak of salvation, amen, in our lives. When he sees those walls begin to come up, when he sees that he's losing his access, then he begins to rage. He begins to come at us. So here's, here's Sanballat, and he's, he's mocking, and he's angry, and he spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Whew. Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? In other words, is God going to do this for them? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now, Tobiah. Now, Tobiah was like the sidekick. You know how you have the, you have the bad guy, and then there's the sidekick, like, yeah, what he said. <laughs> so Tobiah comes along, and he's like, Tobiah the Ammonite was near, and he said, even what they're building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Doesn't that sound like that guy? So understand, Sanballat was a governor. He was a ruler in the land of Samaria. He had authority there. Somebody say there. But he didn't have authority in Jerusalem. 
He was a neighbor. And as, as we saw in previous chapters upon Nehemiah's arrival, he immediately set himself against every measure to, to build the, you know, for the, with the wealth, aimed at the welfare of Jerusalem. And so he sees this progress, them making repairs, the gates and the walls, get, and he gets angry and he unleashes mockery and ridicule at the Jews. Let me just say this, the language of the enemy is ridicule. The language of the enemy is ridicule, and he likes to mock and come at us, and he likes to oppose. He comes to oppose you when, when, when you are making progress in growing in the Lord, and he is building in your life, and, and you are progressing in the work of the Lord. He comes to oppose. Now, Recall that Nehemiah and the Jews had legal right to be there. They had the authority of the king behind them. They had, they had the, his arm, he had sent a guard with them. So they had the authority. They had legal protection and, and permission to build this wall. And yet, Sanballat had no legal right to come against them. I'm going to say that again. Sanballat had no legal right to come against them. So his words were powerless unless they let them be powerful. Are you with me this morning? And so the enemy is the same. His words are powerless unless we let them be powerful. He has no legal right in your life. You are a child of God. You are under the authority of heaven. You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He can't do anything unless we let him. There's access points. There's points of exposure that we've got to close up, and that's what this chapter is about. But be reminded he has no legal right in your life. Next, they were mocked for their weakness. Now, I, I love this. Because God always chooses weak things so that his glory, his strength, his power will be revealed in it. And so here they are weak, but we, we, need, to, we need to recognize something. They saw even themselves to the natural eye, what they were doing was impossible. What, the, what was before them, the will and the purpose of God, was impossible for them to achieve in their own strength. And can I say this? When you get hold of the call of God, the will of God for your life, understand that it is bigger than you. It's bigger than what we can do in our own strength. If it's something we can accomplish, it's likely short of what he wants to do. And so... Can we just acknowledge for a moment that we really are feeble in and of ourselves? Sometimes when the enemy comes with those accusations, there's a grain of truth in there. Or fact, but it's not truth. Because it's not the whole picture. Because we are not of ourselves, we are not by ourselves, but we have the Lord with us and for us. Amen? But the will of God is bigger than us. And, and I, I promise you, Pastor Julia did not look at my notes this morning when she started the ver service off with this passage, but it, it goes along. I love when the Holy Spirit is on the same frequency. Amen? We're on the same frequency with the Holy Spirit, I should say. Such confidence we have through Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, 4, and 5. Such confidence. Do you have some confidence this morning through Christ? Amen? Toward God. Not that we are adequate in and of ourselves. Come on. But to consider anything is coming from ourselves. But our adequacy, 
I said our adequacy is from God. I can't stand up here and preach under my own power. It's God who gives me the power. It's God who gives me the strength. It's God who gives you the strength to overcome the enemy when he's coming to ridicule and mock you. Then 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. How many have seen some of that in 2020? And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. See, here, here's the, the world has taught us to, to hide our weakness, to sh- be ashamed of our weakness. But Paul goes into 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says this, and he says, To me, my grace, the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. Wait for this. For my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. What if we leaned into the Lord in our place of weakness? What if we boasted in our weakness rather than our strengths? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power, listen, so that what the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see, we we do the difficult, but God does the impossible. He comes with his grace and his strength and makes it possible. And the question he's asking goes, can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? How many know God can still take those areas of, that were broken down in your life and use those stones and build something up? He can take those areas that were a mess and he makes it into a message of his grace, his, his transforming power, his redemption in your life. It's awesome. And is that not what the world is saying of the church in this hour? Can this be revived? Can God do it in a day? Can they be what they once were? That we've read about through the books of history? Can they be the church that is impacting their culture? That's transforming? That there's a transformation that's taking place through the power of the Holy Spirit operating through the people of God? Can that be real again? But understand, these words weren't um, honest questions. They come from the critical spirit. And you know that always, 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 when we are stepping into the plan and purpose of God, we can expect some critical spirit to come against us. Some naysayer. Some critic to come and say, this isn't possible. All of us have experienced that. You step out in faith, you begin to speak what you believe, and then there's, there's something that comes against it. There's an opposition saying, that's not possible. You know that. You've, you tried that before, it failed. Anybody? Anybody heard that voice? You're feeble. You're weak. Anybody heard that voice? <laughs> yes. And sometimes you agree with your adversary quickly. <laughs> yes, that's true, but this time... The Holy Spirit is going to be my strength. This time, God is going to make it possible. Amen? I'm not leaning on my own strength. I'm not leaning on myself. My adequacy is not from myself, but it is from Him. Praise God. When you come with full of vision and dreams and God's putting things in your heart, just be aware that somebody might come up with some criticism, but don't let it stop you. Amen? 
Nehemiah 4, 4 through 5. And he, this is Nehemiah's response. I love this. We need to be first responders to problems. First responders to problems. And the first response to the problem is not a Tylenol. The first response to the problem is to get in prayer. <laughs> Amen? To that place of prayer. God, what do you have to say about this? I've heard what the critics are saying. But what do you have to say about this situation? What do you have to say? And so Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their heads and give them up for plunder in a land of captivity. Some of you are like, that's not very Christian. (laughs) Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you. For they have demoralized the builders. You know, there's a simple prayer sometimes when you are up against resistance of, of, of the enemy that he needs people to do that, by the way. He needs cooperation himself. Just like God needs cooperation, the devil needs cooperation. And so when you got people who are cooperating with the enemy and are coming against the purpose and planning, there's this, there's this prayer, reprove or remove. And sometimes it's reprove and remove. <laughs> but here's what he does. He's, when we are angry, come on, if we're being honest sometimes, there are people that come against us and come against the purpose and plan of God, and we have an angry response. Some of you during this election season may have experienced those emotions for just a moment. But I'm telling you this, if we'll take our anger against man to the God of justice and let him handle it. Because the anger of man cannot work the righteousness of God. But these are real emotions. David experienced this as well. He had enemies and adversaries who came against him. And he had some pretty radical prayers about them. So we need to be first responders in prayer. It would have been easy to be distracted from the work by the words they were saying. But Nehemiah sets an example for us. And he sets an example for the for the Jews in that moment. This is how you respond to the critics. This is how you respond to the naysayers. This is how you respond when you're being ridiculed about being who God's called you to be and accomplishing the work of God. You pray. And he prayed. My attitude, and here, here's, here's, here's my attitude in ministry is this. God, this is your business. It's your business. And so when problems come, Somebody said, you need to have an, it's an easy for God attitude. It's an easy for God attitude. When problems come, I know I've sold this story many times, but in sales, they taught us, oh, we don't, we don't say problems. We say opportunities. It's an opportunity. Well, it's an opportunity for God to do something. So when those opportunities come, Say, God, this is your opportunity to show forth your power, your might. You entered into this situation. Amen? Hear, oh God, what they're saying. Hear what they're saying against us. Would have been easy to be distracted. It would be easy to be distracted by what they're saying, the words of men. But we need to hear what the Father is saying. Now, understand, Nehemiah's heart was not one of personal vengeance. But his concern, as we saw in chapter 1, was for the glory of God. And see, when your heart 
and your aim and your motive is the glory of God, that prayer gets answered. That's why when Jesus instructed his disciples how to pray, he said, Our Father which art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom, your kingdom mindset. And he's saying, your kingdom, God, is suffering ridicule here. And for the praise of your name, you want to make Jerusalem a city of praise. Come up, we are asking you to intervene. And guess what? He wants to make your life a life of praise. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a chosen generation, a people who have been purchased for his own possession, that we might declare and proclaim the praises of him who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on. So your house, your house, your life is to be a place of praise. Amen. Verse 6, we're going on here, because I want you to see in this chapter four things that the people did and had that I believe are keys for us in, for victory in building and in accomplishing the will of God. Amen? But verse 6, he says, so we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together half its height. Listen to this. For the people had a mind to work. Whoo! Oh, you guys got quiet on that. You said, Pastor, I just want to sit here. You, didn't say, you said work. But understand, Ephesians 4 <laughs> said, the fivefold ministry has a purpose. What is it? To raise up, equip people for what? The work of the ministry, right? Let me just tell something we believe in this church. Every one of you is a minister. Come on. Turn to somebody and say, you're a minister this morning, which means you get to work. All right. So they had a mind to work. And I love it. In Psalm 110, it says, In the day of his power, there will be many volunteers. So I'm like, yes, Lord, more power. Come on. More volunteers. But he said they had a mind to work. So number one is a mind to work. Satan's goal is to demoralize us in the work of the Lord and to keep us from having that mind to work. Because, understand, no, we are not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. Did you get that? We are saved unto works. Because I'm saved, and because now my heart is concerned with the kingdom of God and his glory, I'm going to work for his kingdom. I'm going to work to advance and to build his kingdom on earth. Come on, in the hearts of people. I'm saved. I've been, these works have been, I've been created for good works. A mind to work. So he wants to get you off your game. And it's, notice it was after Nehemiah prayed, so then we built the wall. Yeah, we heard what you said, Sembalat and Tobiah. We heard you, but we're building the wall. And notice how Nehemiah prayed that against his enemies, but God answered and said, I'm going to move on your people. Woo, do you hear that? I'm going to move on your people. And sometimes that's more effective than just getting rid of the enemy. Is that we get the mind of the Lord. We get his perspective. We get his heart. Amen. And we are, we are moved to do what God wants to do in this time, this hour. So what does that tell us? That means victory starts with a mindset. Can I just tell you something? I played football for half a season 
my sophomore year of high school. And I played for the Bothell High School Cougars, all right? Yeah, now we say woohoo now, but we were not saying that back then. This was another time before their greatness, before they started winning state titles. I'm talking about an 0 and 9 time. Zero and nine, okay? And I, I'm, I'm on this team. And, and we just found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. We just found a way. So it was our homecoming game, all right? We have a three-touchdown lead, and somehow we found a way to lose. And so I'm in this locker room, Oh, and five. And look, like, this isn't the right attitude. I'm not promoting this this morning. If you're in a losing team, don't be me, okay? So I'm in this locker room. I'm looking around. We're 0 and 5. I'm third string on an 0 and 5 team. I have better things to do with my time. So I'm <laughs> I have to do something else with my time. And, and, but they had a mindset of losing, all right? Mariners fans understand this. We have a... (laughs) Mindset of losing, but we need a mindset of victory. I don't care if you've been used to being defeated. Bible says that he always leads us in victory. He always leads us in victory. Jesus Christ, thanks be to God who always leads us in victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Victory mindset. You have the victory because he has the victory. Mm. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable. Ooh, that word immovable. It's like, man, I, I hear your words, but I'm not changing my course. I'm set like Flint. I'm set on the will and the purpose of God to accomplish what God has for me. I'm, immov- I'm going to be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let me just tell you this. You can get to a place where you find the sweet spot of the will of God in your life. Amen. The sweet spot of the will of God in your life where you know you're doing what he's called you to be doing and you're right in the middle of that thing and you're abounding in the work of the Lord and there's such a momentum in your life that the enemy just really can't get you off. It's harder to stop a freight train that's moving fast. Create some momentum in your life in the will of God. But when you're stalled and you're thinking about, oh, can we really do this? Right? Sanballat's words are ringing loud in your ears. Come on. Then the enemy has a place. But he says, abounding in the work of the Lord. Man, there's a joy that comes when we abound in the work of the Lord. I mean, I know I used the word work again. You guys got quiet. All right. Knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Woo! Man, there, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed. I, I love my, uh, my other job. It's great. But there's a lot of things I do that end up being in vain. I worked an entire year on a program that they decided they didn't want to fund. So after investing 10 months in that program of my life and passionate in this thing and they know we've decided we're not going to fund that i'm like so i wasted a whole year doing something we're never going to actually accomplish so 
There's things that we toil on that in vain. But when you do the work of the Lord, it's never in vain. When we are involved and we are participating, come on, there's Christianity's not a spectator sport. Whew, got quote. Christianity's not a spectator sport. <laughs> when we're participating in the work of the Lord, we, there is a joy, there's a strength. We're walking in the Holy Spirit and His grace and His peace. Come on, it's good. Don't let the words of intimidation of the enemy keep you from moving forward in the work of the Lord. How many this morning would say, I've stalled in what God's called me to do? Now's the, now's the time. Now's the time. Abound in the work of the Lord. Amen? Find out what he has for you in this season. We are, we are in a season of building. How many dreams and visions have been lost due to, the words, due to the words of critics in your lives? I can remember this. I can remember this lady. We were at work, and we were doing a, a class, and we had to break out into groups, and I probably told this story, but just bear with me. Uh, we broke out into groups, and and we were doing these activities, and this lady in our team said, hey, I can, I can do the drawing part. And so she started to do the drawing part, and everybody was complimenting on how great of an artist she was. And so she then says, you know, you know I, I kind of wanted to be an artist. We're like, well, what happened? She was in college in, in an art class, and she started doing, the, she, she was doing an assignment, and this teacher actually said to her, Somebody in the wrong profession said to her, uh, you should never do art. And those words, those words like Sanballat's just, just took root in her. Do you know, as the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, how many, how many know this morning that fear also comes by hearing and hearing by the word of man? Fear and defeat and despair and discouragement, all those things come by the word of man. And many times our own thought patterns, but many times that started with words that were planted in our lives by others. So how do you keep a mind to work? Ephesians 4.23, I'm going to move quick. And Paul says this to the Ephesians, he says, and that you be renewed, somebody say renewed this morning, in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now see, what does that mean to be renewed? The vine says this, the renewal here mentioned is not that of the mind itself in its natural powers of memory. Some of you are like, oh man, I always forget stuff, that'd be nice. Judgment and perception. But the spirit of the mind, which is, which under the controlling power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, come on somebody, directs its bent and its energies Godward in the enjoyment of fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. I like that. Let me put it another way. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. How many know that's hard? But it's possible. We have to build in our life a discipline of keeping our minds set on Him. Colossians 3 says, Set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
So when our mindset is on him, guess what? That's how we get the mind. And then he's showing us, right? Jesus said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing. What does that mean? He was constantly thinking about and in his heart seeing what the Father was doing. Can we get that movie in our brain going on? Amen? 2 Corinthians 10.5, all right? So then we have to take thoughts captive. And I just feel like there's some people here this morning. You're dealing with this. Here's our part, right? Here's our part. He says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So thoughts come just like rain comes in Seattle. What? If you got rained on today, you shouldn't feel guilty. Right? And if you're walking in the atmosphere of an earth that's under the ruler of this world, come on, and you're walking in, under the atmosphere, in the atmosphere of people who have different demonic bad thinking and all that, that's all around you. Thoughts are coming at you. Come on. The enemy's throwing stuff at you constantly. Now, it doesn't have to be yours. That thought, you need to shut the door at the gate of your mind when that thought comes. And, that, and those thoughts are just like Sanballat. You're feeble, you're weak, you can't do this, this is too hard, you need to just give up and do something else. Your team's 0-5. I'm kidding. So. 0-9. We're shit. So that, that's, we have to take it captive. Speculations are like what Sam Ballot was speaking. Those things that raise themselves up against the knowledge of God, his word, his purpose, his plan in your life. Oh, it got quiet. All right. Amen. <laughs> Nehemiah 4, 7, 9 through 9, it says, Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repairs of the wall of Jerusalem went on, so your words failed, all right, and that the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. Okay, they were angry before, now they're very angry. Oh, those poor guys. Verse 8 says, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance in it. So enemies on every side now were angry about this wall project. But verse 9 says, but we, somebody say we, we prayed to God. Notice the first time it's Nehemiah. They saw, oh, this is how you do it. Okay, we're going to pray like Nehemiah. So number two is they had a heart for prayer. You say, Pastor, we're talking about prayer every week. Yes, we are. (laughs) Come on. This is a time to be revving up our prayer life. But it's our first response, and it's a we. I love this. There's a power in corporate prayer. Corporate prayer agreement in prayer now that's the hard part 
And we sh- I shared about this in Sunday Night Prayer last week. You know, I think it took 10 days in the upper room because it was 120 people trying to get on the same frequency. Right? You all come into a prayer meeting and you've got all sorts of problems, things you're dealing with, and, and you've got different things that you want to pray about, and God's like, no, this is what I want to pray about. And it takes us a while to go, oh, okay, line with heaven. And it says that when they were in one accord, that's when the Holy Spirit came in power. Amen? So that agreement, that corp, corporate agreement in prayer, the Bible says if two or three agree touching any one thing, it shall be what? Done. Whew, that's powerful. There's a power in we. That's why we pray on Sunday night. That's why we pray in our home groups. That's why we pray in our church is a value. Prayer is a priority. In everything we do, prayer is a priority. Psalm, and look, I want, I want you to see what David's prayer was like when he was surrounded by enemies. Psalm 109, 2 through 4 says, For they have opened the wicked and deceitful mouth against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without cause. In return for my love, they act as my accusers. But I am in prayer. That's the place. I'm going to enter into the secret place of the Most High. I am going to pray. I don't want... My, I want God's perspective on this situation. Heart to pray, number two. And then next part of that verse says, in verse 9 of Nehemiah 4, and because of them we set up a guard against them day and night. Day and night. So three, they had an eye to watch. They had a mind to work, a heart to pray, and an eye to watch. Prayer alone was not enough, but dependence and reliance on the Lord brings the answers needed in every situation. So as, he's pray, as they are praying, the Lord says, set a guard day and night. Set a guard day and night. And I feel like we are in that place right now. Setting a guard day and night. Being vigilant in this hour. And what does a watch look like? It's alertness, it's soberness. In times of intention, intense spiritual battles, which is what we're in. These next three weeks, these next four weeks, I don't know what they hold, but I know it's going to be intense. Hold on. And don't try to fight this thing from a natural perspective. You might have to turn off the news. You might have to turn off the news. and get God's perspective for a moment because guess what you listen to it over and over and over and over again and that begins to become the report we need vigilance similar to how we would watch over our house if we knew intruders might be coming I'm setting a guard 1 Thessalonians 5, 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. Sober here is self-controlled. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. 
But also, when you're in this intense time of spiritual warfare, and you're going through stuff, and you're feeling stuff, and you have burdens, and there's, there's demonic attacks and things coming, it would be easy to react in the flesh, but that's where the soberness, the self-control comes into play. 1 Peter 5 eight says, be of sober spirit. There it is again, be on alert. Be on alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. To devour. I love that it says like a roaring lion. Roar! You know. It's more like, meow, meow. <laughs> Nehemiah 4, 10 through 13. Let's look at it. Thus, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing. All right? Sometimes, oh, let me finish this. Yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them, and put a stop to the work. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times. <laughs> okay, that's like a saying in their culture. To say it ten times would be to say it many, many times. In other words, this was repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again. The report, the threat, was repeated. Anyone see some parallels? Whether it's virus, come on, violence, fill in the blank, over and over and over and over until what happens? Discouragement. The external stuff begins to affect the internal disposition. You just hear it over and over and over. And we're frozen. And we begin to believe this report. Oh, I begin to see what is not versus what is. I begin to see what is not. He says the strength of the burden bearers is failing. The rubbish is too much. The work's too great. This, this is too much. Remember, they're halfway. It's half time on the wall building project. It's too much. And the report's been coming over and over and over again. And then also you add to that, and then the enemy's going to sneak in, and he's going to kill us. Come on. Just Eeyore. But here's his response. He says, they'll come up from every place where you may turn. Verse 13 says, then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and the exposed places. I, and I stationed the people in families with, listen, with their swords, their spears, and their bows families being armed and placed in the vulnerable places there's some family ministry needed in these exposed areas there was a report right it's over and over again which repeat now listen They say in customer service, if somebody has a good experience, they might tell two, three people, maybe, right? Now, but you know this. 
if you have a bad experience, you are telling everybody. Oh, I've seen some of you on Facebook. Oh, it's okay. I haven't been on there in a while. It's good. It's covered. It's under the blood. But you have a bad experience. You tell so many people, man, don't go to this place. They're awful. They don't treat you like a customer. So you go tell, you're going to tell somebody a bad experience over and over and over again. And see, the, the, the news media, I'm just going to give you a secret. They know this. It's not profitable to report good news. It's not profitable. They don't get as many eyeballs. They don't get as many clicks. They don't get as much engagement, and it's good news. Because people are naturally inclined to bad news. And so we get hooked on what's the bad news. We, we actually get a perspective. Come on. We start to go, well, what's, what bad is going to happen today? Oh, man. No, no, no. My God says his mercies are new every day. There's something good going to happen today because my God is with me. God, my God is for me. My God has good things in store. He has a hope and a future for my welfare, not my destruction. So where was I? All right. They know it, and they are using it. They, they monitor how much time you spend on a good news article versus a bad news. How about we spend some more time with our face in the book with the good news? With the good news. Watch equals station. Position where needed. I love this. We're going to fight with our families. And then, then he says, Nehemiah says to them, he says, in verse 14, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And listen to this. This is the battle we are in. It's for the family. Without naming them, there are organizations whose stated goals are to destroy the nuclear family. Be careful who you're subscribing to and what you're supporting. If their goal is to destroy the family, they are against God. I don't care what else they say. That is the foundation of our society is the family and the marriages. And everything Satan is doing in this hour is to destroy the family. So what do we do as Christians? Come on. We grab some swords. We grab some bows. We grab some spears. And we go, kids, you're going to learn how to fight with us in this battle. And we're going to go where God has us positioned to the exposed places so that we can help this project of his kingdom. I'm going to fight with my family, and I'm going to fight for my family. Come on. Watching is being properly armed. Ephesians 6 says this. And throughout this chapter, you see the families were armed. Nehemiah's servants, half of them carried on the work, while the other half held spears, shields, and bows, okay, and breastplates. Those who were rebuilding and carrying loads worked with one hand, fought with another, a weapon in another hand. 
That's our posture in this hour. Everybody was armed. We need to be armed as believers. Put on the full armor of God. Don't start your day undressed. Come on, somebody. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Almost done, I promise. Nehemiah 4, 14 through 15. When I saw their fear, I already read that. All right. Listen to this. Read the next part. Verse 15. This is awesome. Okay? I love the word of God. (sighs) When the enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had frustrated their plan, they sought to frustrate God's plan. God said, no, you don't. I'm frustrating your plan. I'm going to reveal the schemes of the enemy against my people. And I'm going to give them a strategy to be ready and to be armed and to be on alert and to be sober and to be prayed up and to be seeing and watching what, what's happening. Psalm 33.10 says this, The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the people. Come on, this needs to be a prayer. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart, from generation to generation. Psalm 33. Lastly, Nehemiah 4.20. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, Rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Oh, I want you to see something. They they were so far apart. Nehemiah said, so what if the enemy comes in and attacks right here or over here? Lord gave him a strategy. He says, sound the trumpet. Sound the trumpet. And the trumpet is a prophetic picture The trumpet is a prophetic picture. It tells us that it signifies an alarm of war, a call to assemble, or a command to march. 